Last week we looked at a, a very sad story about John the Baptist, uh, the martyrdom the, uh, of John the Baptist, how he spoke the truth boldly. He was not afraid to speak the truth. And again, him being the last of the Old Testament prophets, uh, he spoke to this ruler, Herod Antipas, and his wife, who had been his brother's wife, and they didn't like what he had to say. And, and, and then through a series of circumstances and things that happened, a drunken party uh, dancing, uh, foolish promises, peer pressure. Revenge was had, and they had him killed. And John's ministry now completed. And you look at that and say, well, that's a very terrible thing that could happen. Is that fair, to, you know, is that, fair that that happened, that, that terrible thing? John's disciples, though, after burying him, they went and they told Jesus, and, they, and that's what you and I need to do, need to do in, the, in the unfair circumstances of this very sinful, broken, fallen world. We need to go to Jesus, talk to Jesus, spend time with him in the pain and the struggles of this life. Jesus went away, it says, to, to spend time quietly, and, and as we'll see, it didn't really happen that way, but he went and most likely to spend time with his father. So we pick it up here in, in verse uh, 13. <clears throat> During all this, right after this happened, this account, uh, it says that Jesus feeds the 5,000, and it's 5,000 plus. We know that because it's just men that were counted in the, in the counting, and there were women and children as well. But some questions I want, I want to be thinking about as we're looking at this passage, a very familiar passage, I think one of the reasons it's so familiar is that it's the only miracle that Jesus did that's in all four Gospels. So we're familiar with it, and you know, we hear it again and again. It's in all four of the Gospels, and when something's repeated like that, obviously all four of the writers said, this is really, really important, and they put it in there for us. So I think they're obviously, for obvious reasons, there are important things in there for us. So some questions I want you to think about as we're looking at these verses. Can Jesus feed me and mine? Can he use me? And I think an important one is do we understand God's math? How many of you, uh, you know, this kind of gives away how old you were, but you, you were going to school and they said, we're going to have the new math now. How many of you remember that? They came out with what they called the new math. Well, I don't realize that math ever changed, but... Uh, math is math, right? But they have the new math. Well, when, when we understand Jesus Christ and, and the power of God, there's, there's a different kind of math that takes place. This is really God math. And how he works in, in people's lives, and I can say, you know, uh, in, in the history of, of, of walking with Jesus and, and how he's taken care of us on a worldly sense, in a worldly, in a, in a human perspective, the math never added up. For the last 33 years. Didn't make any sense. But, but God's math, God has taken care of. His math has been perfect every time. It always adds up. It always, always adds up. Why? Because he's faithful. So, let's look at verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. When he heard what had happened about John the Baptist, it says he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, not without his disciples, but they were together. Mark's gospel says that they came to Jesus, they gathered around him, and they, they also talked about 
stuff that had happened, it says, through them, all the things that they had done and taught as they had been sent out. So that was also taking place there. But it says there in Mark's gospel, then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus said to them, listen, I know a lot has been going on. Come with me. I want you to come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Yeah, you know, I don't know about you, but I get really, really tired sometimes. And, and you know what? Uh, Jesus has those times where he gives you a break. He gives you a little bit of rest. He gives you a little bit of time of, of, of renewal and refreshment. It isn't always go, go, go because I'm going you know, to burn out for God or whatever. Well, no, there are times when we need to, as someone has said, come apart so that we don't come apart. Come apart and spend time with them. Do you and I have those times where we say, listen, I need, to, I need to just, you know, just leave that all aside for a while and just spend, even if it's an hour or a day, just alone with him. Now, it doesn't always turn out as we plan, though, does it? Does it ever? I'm going to plan this vacation. I'm going to plan this time away, this retreat or advance, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to uh, you know, plan this out. I'm going to go and do all this stuff, and I'm going to get so filled and fed, and, and all these things are going to happen. We've got all these plans and ideas. And then what happens? Life happens. Things happen. And it doesn't turn out, and that's what happens here. Look what it says there in the last part of verse 13. <clears throat> it says that, Hearing of this, the crowds, they heard about it. They followed him on foot from the towns. They saw he's on the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee isn't that large. They saw kind of the direction they were heading in this boat, and they, you know, they were taking their time, it appears, on the water, because it says that they saw that, and they, on foot, they ran around and got to the other side before the boat actually got there, so that when Jesus and the disciples in this boat got there, they were already there. The crowd was already there ahead of them. So, you know, if I was Jesus, I would uh, probably turn that boat around, start heading back to the other side, and see if I could find that spot where I could be alone. You know, kind of fake them out a little bit. You know, I chase, chase, you know when you chase little kids around things and you're chasing after them? I don't know if any of you ever do this. I do this chase after him around the table, right? And, and, and then, then, you know, you just turn around the other way so you can catch them, you know, fake them out. And then they figure that out and they turn the other way too. Jesus, if I was Jesus, I would have just turned the other way and just went another direction, tried to find that place. I got to have a break. I got to do what I got to do. What did he do? Look at verse 14. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I know you're glad, and I'm glad that I'm not Jesus. Because Jesus had a heart of compassion for the people. It didn't matter. He put himself last, always. He would have no break at this point in time. He would have a break later on, but he had no break at this point in time. Earlier in Matthew, we saw that he said, it said that he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
He sees people. He knows the need, the, the harassment that we have gone through in this life. This word compassion means simply to feel with. And, and, and really in the, in the Greek language, if you look it up, it's, it's got, it talks about the actual innards, the guts, like felt so deeply within him, his guts were moved. His, his, you know, that kind of compassion he felt for people. Jesus, it says in Luke's account of this, that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. He felt so much for them. He, he, he spoke to them and told them about the fact that there's a king and, and you can give your life and, uh, to serve the king and have the king in your life. And then he, and then he would also heal those, he says, that who, who needed healing. Jesus Thank God that he did that. Thank God that he's like that for you and me today. When we come to him and, and, you know, he's had kind of a long day. I can't imagine. I can't imagine him hearing all the prayers of all the people on the planet. Can you think about that for a second? You know, sometimes I ask you folks a question. You all kind of, you try to, you don't speak real loud. It's hard for me to hear. My hearing's half gone anyways. And, and I hear like three or four voices at one time and I can't even like make out what you're saying. But Jesus, when he hears all those voices, and he can hear each one. He can hear your voice no matter who else is speaking to him. And he hears you individually and personally. At the same time, hearing all the other voices. And we can't quite understand that, of course. But that's the almighty God. That's the, you know, God who is all-powerful. Thank God he hears us, and, and though he might have had a rough day hearing a lot of people, and, and things are going bad on the planet, and he says, listen, you know, just save it for a little while. You know, can you come back tomorrow? I really need, you know, I'm having a cup of tea here, and, you know, me and the Father, we're talking about things, and, and you know, he, he never does that. He's never too busy for you or for me. The line's always open. That, that's incredible. Look at verse 15. We get a little comparison now between Jesus and the disciples. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. You know, when I first read that, I think that's, that's reasonable, right? That makes sense to me. It's a reasonable request, I think. But when you begin to look at it a little bit more, doesn't it kind of sound like they were directing him? Doesn't it kind of sound like they're telling him like what to do and how to do it? Not that any of us ever do that. Jesus, I want you to right now do this. And, and, and No, I'm, none of us have ever done that. But it kind of sounds like they're doing it. Doesn't that sound like that? Telling him things he didn't, Jesus, didn't you know? It's getting late, Jesus. You haven't checked your watch lately. There's not enough food right here in this place. We're kind of out in the sticks somewhere. Jesus, we got together. We figured out what the best thing to do is, and so this is what we want you to do. Send them all away, and they can go get their food and do what they need to do. Maybe, you know, as I said earlier, they were, they were wanting that break. You know, they said, okay, Jesus, we came here to get, a, get aside, to get apart. You said, 
let's get aside, get apart. And, okay, now we've spent the whole day with these people, but, you know, enough is enough. Don't forget why we came here. We came here so we could go out and have a, you know, retreat. Makes sense to me. But when you look at it a little bit more, what were they doing? What was their idea? They want to send the people somewhere else. When they're right where they needed to be with Jesus. They want to send them away from Jesus somewhere else. But the truth of it is, he either is or he isn't able to meet our needs. And why would we want to go somewhere else? Where is he going to send them? Stop and shop? Where is he going to send them? To the world? To worldly principles? To unbelievers? Going to send them out there? Jesus, you know... We can't handle this one. Jesus, you know, I know you're, you're, you know, you, you're pretty cool and everything, but you really can't handle the needs that these people have. So let's send them out to the world. Let's send them somewhere else to find the answers. And sad to say that, that we do the same thing. We send people to the world. We send people to unbelievers when Jesus is the one that has the answers. We need to be sending people to Jesus, keeping people with Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we're not involved in things around us. We are. We're not stuck in a, in a little you know, cave somewhere. Well, it's just me and Jesus. But right now, they're with Jesus. And what better, what better place is there to be than with Him? Jesus has been meeting their needs already, has He not? He knew what the deepest needs they were. Again, he had compassion on them. They were harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. He knew what their real needs were. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He was healing their needs, uh, healing their bodies, casting out demons, I'm sure. He, he was taking care of all their needs so far. So why is it now that he's going to stop taking care of their needs? And are we not also like that? We think, okay, Jesus, you can do this for me, but... <clears throat> that's kind of as far as you can go. And I'm going to have to go somewhere else and find the answer. No, 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 no. Jesus is all sufficient. Jesus is able. He is able to accomplish what concerns you and me. Look at verse 16. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. They don't need to go away. They're here. They're here with me. It's not necessary. Don't just look at the circumstances, guys. Don't just look around you and say, well, I don't see how it's going to add up. The math isn't there. Don't just stop here. No, I'm here. I'm still here. I didn't go anywhere. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But then he said something that really set him off. And look at what he says there in the last half of that verse. He says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> Wait a minute, okay. They don't need to go away. Okay, are you going to do something? Okay, all right. But, but you want us to give them something to eat? You want me to do something? <clears throat> Jesus, look around. I mean, you know, what can we do? You know, what, are we, what can we give them? How can we make a difference? Look around. 
Look around in this room. What are we going to do in this world? What, what can you and I do? Anything? In John's gospel, Jesus had said to Philip, where he said this, Jesus said this to Philip. He said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It said he tested, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do already, but he kind of puts it out to Philip and then he puts it out to the, to the whole group. You give them something to eat. Philip answered him in John's gospel, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You know, eight months' wages, we couldn't even buy enough food for each each person just to have a little bite, much less take care of their needs. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he knew that they couldn't do it. Right? But yet he said to them, you give them something to eat. The deal is this, that he wanted to work through them like he wants to work through you and me. Keep that in mind. Jesus is still working today, but he wants to work, and he wanted to work through them, and he wants to work through you and me. When we see some need in the world, when we see some people that are harassed and helpless and hurting, Jesus physically isn't here, but by his Spirit he's here within you and me, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. But we have our excuses, don't we? I have plenty. Moses had his. Gideon had his. We have our limitations, our lack. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. He asked them in Mark's gospel, how many loaves do you have? Well, what do you have? And a little time for self-assessment. Well, what do you have? And that's not necessarily a bad thing for you to think, well, what, what, what do I have to offer? And you may come up with a big zero. You may say nothing, and, but it's good to know, right? And so he told them to go and see. And when they found out, they, they looked around, they checked around, and, and they came back to him and they said, five loaves and two fish. That's what we got. Five loaves and two fish. Look at verse 17. He says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And they figure the people that do the figuring, that the loaves were about the size of a small pancake. It's not big loaves. And that the fish were probably like sardines. Small. Not big, you know, whale, you know, let's cut that big whale up. No, little sardines. Two little sardines. Five little loaves of bread. That is not a lot when we're talking about 5,000 plus People, maybe 15, maybe even 20,000 people. I mean, look at that. And, and you think about it and you go like, the math is kind of blowing my mind right now. We got five little loaves of bread, two little fish. We only have. And you and I say, I only have. And I can only do. And, and I can only. Or maybe you say, I can't, I can't do anything. I don't have anything. But what I think you and I need to do is to keep our minds open to the fact that God has a different way. And God's math is not our math. Isn't there a verse that says that? God's math is not our math. Did I just make that up? Oh. 
But what it really says is, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the higher, uh, heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways are completely beyond our ways. But we look around and we, we say five loaves, two fishes, 5,000, 10,000 plus people. They do not add up. It's, it's impossible. It, it will not work. So Jesus, what does he do? He just decides, well, I'm just going to go home. No, what does he do? Look in verse 18. He says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. What does he ask the disciples to do in the first part of verse 18? What was their part? He says, bring them here to me. Bring what? Bring those five loaves and those two fish here to me. That was their part, to bring what they did have. Not what they didn't have. He didn't say, listen, I want you to do, you know, I want you to do a miraculous thing. He says, bring to me what you have. He already knew what they had, and, but he wanted them to bring it to him and to, to bring what we have to Jesus, to bring what you have, your resources, my resources. Bring the needs of the people around us to Jesus. Bring what you have to Jesus. He says, bring them here to me. That's what's going to make a difference. That's, that's, that's how you and I are going to be used in this world is when we, when we bring it to Jesus, when we bring what we have to Jesus, however little it is. I think the problem is for, for us is when we think we have a lot. When we think we're really, really gifted, we really got a lot of stuff going on, that's when we start to get in trouble because then we don't think we even need to bring it to Jesus because I'll just take care of the need right now myself. And if you've read the story of Gideon, I've been reading it all week, the story of Gideon, that's exactly what happened. They had like uh, 32,000 soldiers ready to go fight this battle and God told Gideon, you got too many. I'm going to cut them back. And why? He says, so that, so that Israel can't boast that they did it themselves. And he cut it back. He says, anybody who's fearful, stay home. 22,000 out of the 32,000 stayed home. And then he, then he had another test for them. And, and, and he said, I'm going to sift them out. And, and, and he did this thing down at the water, which is kind of interesting. But in the end, he ended up with what? How many? 300 out of 32,000. And he says, okay. Now you'll know. And, and the, the, the armies that they were going to fight, it says there were so many of them, they couldn't even like count how many there were down there. Sometimes he has to cut us back so that he can show us that he's the one who's doing it, not us. So he takes what they had, has them set the people down, takes these five loaves, two fish, and what does it say? It says he looks up to heaven, number one. He knew where to look. Number two, he gave thanks, blessed them. He gave thanks for what they did have, what he knew the Father could do with it. And then number three, it says he broke the loaves. He broke the loaves. And, and, and uh, it, doesn't it seem that this is where the miraculous took place? In the breaking, right? 
before. He just took those loaves and he held them up. You know, he, he looked to heaven. He thanked God for them. But as he began to break those loaves, that's when it began to happen, I think. It somehow began to multiply as he began to break them and break them. And, and, and it was in the breaking that it was multiplied. And, and there really is a lesson for you and for me in this when, when the breaking times come in our lives. That God is doing something. We, don't, we, don't, we do not like that. I don't like that. I, I hate to be broken. John Corson said, in between giving thanks and multiplying, there was a breaking. In the, in the Lord's hand, a little goes a long way if you will let Him bless you and break you. He said, people often say, God's been good to me and I want to be used in ministry. Why then am I going through the pits and through such difficulty? And the answer is very simple. Before the Lord can use a person greatly, He must allow him to be hurt and broken deeply. There's no other way. Pride must go. Self-sufficiency must die to make way for the tenderness and compassion that come only through the breaking process. He's got to break us. He's got to break us. He's got to take what we have and break it. And in that process, things happen. Miraculous things can happen. Are we willing? He says, if you will let him bless you and break you. Are we willing? It says in, in verse, uh, the last part of verse 19, it says, once he did this, though, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Again, he had said to them, you give. You give them something to eat. And so after he did what he has done here, it says he gave them back to the disciples. What they had given him only multiplied, only more, only miraculously multiplied. And then he gave it back to the disciples. Why? Because he could have passed it all out. But he wanted to use them, and he wanted them directly involved. And he wanted them to be involved in what he was doing. And I believe the same is true today. He wants us to be involved in what he's doing in the world today. Verse 20 says, They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. It says they all ate and were satisfied. Uh, John's gospel says that they ate as much as they wanted. It wasn't they, they just had a little crumb each. And, you know, some liberal uh, theologians have looked at these verses and, and you know, they have uh, kind of tried to, to, you know, explain it away. And they say such ridiculous things, you know that you know, Jesus shared what the boy had, and, and then he encouraged the, the people to share their lunches with others. So really it was a miracle, the fact that they all shared with one another the lunches that they already had, and then, and then that's how it all happened. That's nonsense. That's not what the text says in any way, shape, or form. But because people have this bias that God is not able that they're, you know, to write out the, the miraculous uh, of what God is able to do, the truth is there wasn't enough there, and then there was, and more. There were 12 basketfuls broken pieces left over, one for each of the disciples, just in case they weren't sure. Each one of them kind of got a basket to take home with them, just so they would know. You see this kind of thing, though, in, in, in the Scripture, where 
where God does that sort of thing. In, in 2 Kings, a man came from a place bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread, it says. And Elisha, the prophet, said, give it to the people to eat. And, and they said, how can I set this before a hundred men? 20 loaves. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Because he'll do something. The last verse there, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So you kind of add it up. Let's say, you know, there were uh, 5,000 women and maybe 5,000 kids. That's a, probably a conservative estimate. Maybe some of the, you know, maybe some of the women and children, uh, you know, they, 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 the kids couldn't walk as fast as, as uh, the adults, but later on in the day, they could have got there by then. So I, th- I still think it could be fifteen to 20,000 people easily. So, so you ask the question, how did they do it? They, they fed all these people. The disciples passed it all out. How did they do it? Simply by cooperating with Christ, someone said. Simply by cooperating with Christ. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, we also have the story of the oil that the woman had that was multiplied, right? You know the story. She had a little bit of oil and she was you know, destitute, completely destitute. She took that little bit of oil and, and he said, go get as many pots and pans and cups and bowls, whatever you can find, and just keep pouring. She kept pouring and pouring and pouring and, until finally it stopped. And then she had enough. She sold some, paid off her debts, and had enough to, like, survive. And it was multiplied by what she had on hand. You remember in the, in the book of Exodus, uh, you know, God says to Moses, what's in your hand? Remember that? What did he have in his hand? He had a staff. And God used that staff to work miraculous things. He says, what do you already have? Who are you? What do you have? What's your personality? What is even your history? What is your story like we heard in the beginning clip? You see, your story is so unique. There's nobody else that has that same story. Nobody else has that unique ability to be who you are and to reach people who only you can reach. What is your story? What's in your hand? What has God given you? One fellow said this, Jesus still performs miracles. He says, if we have the compassion and the willingness to offer what we do have to others, Jesus can miraculously multiply our little to meet the needs of many. This is exciting to me. This, is, this should be exciting to each one of you that, that God wants to use you and the little that you have or the much. It doesn't matter. Whatever you have, if you're willing to offer it up to him and, and even, even willing to go through that breaking process, that he might multiply it and make something out of it. Closing with a couple of points from Warren Wiersbe. He says, Christ can take our little and make it much. He says, whatever he blesses, he breaks. Are we willing to be broken? And thirdly, Christ can overcome every difficulty and feed the multitudes. The disciples had many excuses. Not enough money, 
the wrong place, the wrong time. But Christ took what they had and met the need, and he will do this today. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you <clears throat> that you are the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God. And when we think about who you are, the, the characteristics, the, the nature of who you are is way beyond our understanding, but, but yet we, we kind of get a little glimpse of the fact that you can do all things. Nothing is too hard for you, the Bible says. And you can take a little, and a little bit in your hands becomes a lot. And even the little that we have was given to us anyways. We can't take credit for any of it. It's just, a, it's just what we have that you have already given to us. And so we, we come this morning and we, we offer it up to you, the little that we have. I want to just take a moment for, for, for each of us to respond to him and, and think in your life, what is it that you have? Maybe what is it that you don't have? And take this moment and, and simply open your heart to him and say, Jesus, here it is. Here it is. I offer it back to you. I want to be involved in what you're doing in the world today, here in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New England. to the utter, uttermost parts of the world. Lord, use us. Here we are. Send us to Cranston, Warwick, North Providence, Westerly, all the other places around here. Father, we thank you that your math is not our math. And we, we submit and surrender to you, the Almighty God. I want to pray this morning as well for some maybe here today who don't have that relationship with you that I've spoke about, that don't know you in a, in a personal and a real way, that today, if that's you this morning, as we pray, that you can simply pray along with me right now. And, and as you look to the cross of Jesus Christ where he gave everything for you and gave his life that you would have eternal life, that he was buried in that tomb that he rose from the dead to defeat death, that as you put your trust in him this morning, you can have eternal life. So I want to say to you this morning as we pray, be sure that you are right with God. There's too much confusion, too much uncertainty in this world. There's one thing you need to know for sure, that you're right with God, that you are right with God through Jesus Christ the Savior. That you can have peace with God through believing and receiving in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that, but it needs to be certain, it needs to be sure that you have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. So this morning, pray along with me if that's you in this situation. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I open my heart and life to you. And I say, please, please come in and be my Savior and my Lord today. I need to be right with you. 
I need you in my life today. So please come in. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.